Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Hallelujah. My name is Stacy Maston. We're in the Wisdom Seekers class. And we're going to be talking about the Hebrew term Toda. T-O-D-A. Toda. Toda. Uh, this is a word that's translated as Thanksgiving. And we have already learned this word. This is a, a term that's been around for some years. But the Father really was pressing this um, upon me in the last few weeks because we've been talking a lot about in this season about um, being refined and really submitting ourselves in this process so that we can be prepared for the days ahead, which we know are going is going to require a lot from us. It's going to require um, a, an ability to stand fast in the midst of a lot of calamity and probably making decisions, um, having to have you know that refined spirit and heart so that we can clearly hear and see what the Father is saying regarding his plan in the midst of the chaos. And, and probably for reasons we don't even know. I mean, we're just trying to be ready. And as I have prayed about my personal submission as I've listened to the teachings through, you know, many of you guys, but, you know, um, there's been a lot of focus on this. And um, I've really desired to have that pressing and that change and that refinement within me. And, you know, sometimes you find yourself kind of striving with that because, you know, how can I help this process along? You know, you really desire it, but really it's in the commune, it's in the waiting, it's in the willingness, and it's in those moments when you're actually tried with something that you have to demonstrate what that willingness actually is going to mean for you as you apply it. And the Father, of course, and His Spirit, you know, they're the ones that are making this happen in us. We honestly can't do it other than to be willing and to obey as he directs regarding it. But anyway, this is, an, this is really an old understanding, but something that I really do feel is applicable to our walk in this moment um, as we submit ourselves for um, this season of going forward, season of, of um, preparing for um, what's ahead, for the new. And, <clears throat> and really, you know, it's like, it's just another perspective, another way to address an issue that we are all living right now. So we're going to look at this word todah from the Old Testament. Um, it is translated as Thanksgiving, as I said. <clears throat> it comes from the word yada, which we also know um, what the meaning of that is, and we'll discuss that in a sec. But let's look at this um, this meaning here of todah. It's the extension of the hand. It means an avowal or adoration. Um, it, uh, the principle of thanksgiving entails extending the hand with a willingness to partner with God and also a willingness to be purified afresh before him. This is a submission to cleansing before moving forward. When we lift our hands, we are to be cleansed from what is no longer acceptable before God. Because we know that that relational development is a progression. It's, you know, you're not saved and then all these things happen at once. It's a development that occurs. And so what might have been acceptable in the last season is not acceptable when we go forward. And the way we react, the way that we, our mind processes scenarios, the way that we um, react, you know, in any scenario can really determine the outcome of that scenario. If we're trying to use something from the last season, and I dare say for most of us, you know, from our childhood, because that's where these things stem from. Our experiences, things that we learned to do um, to deal with situations, we basically developed from those early years, and they're really hard to... Uh, to expunge, to change. They're so indelibly within us that we don't even recognize that that's why we're doing this. We're doing a certain thing. And so 
I know that, um, again, everything is not going to be taken care of in this season either. But we certainly want everything that God wants to take care of in this season in our lives to occur. And so we want to lift our hands. We want to bring thanksgiving in a moment where um, it may be a difficult path. But in, for the reason of submitting ourselves for anything that he needs to change within us and refine before we move forward. Because we will be moving forward. See, that's the, that's the thing that's going to happen. The days to come will eventually be the days of the day, of, of now. You know, they're going to become today. So we, we need to prepare ourselves for it. So I've got this passage that I would have normally in the past probably removed from my outline. I don't really like talking about the Levitical sacrifices and the things like that. I, I mean, to me, they, I have a difficult time translating into applying it to my own life, generally. I'm just like, okay, so they killed this, they killed that, they did it for the Zen, they did it for that. Okay, let's move on. Okay, I'm sorry. So when someone of you do your studies and you teach on it, I'm very thankful because I'm just not one that's very good at, at doing it. Maybe I just didn't want to, but as I read through this the first time, that was actually my thought. Oh, that's, you know, that's nice. And, you know, I just kept going through all the passages that include this word toda but I hadn't started my outline yet so I was just initially reading through all the passages you know just kind of getting initial an initial feeling about you know what this might turn out to be but this week when I started to make my outline and I read through the passage um, something just began to stir in me and and to really speak to me about all of these words that I know the meaning to, but I can apply, apply in other ways. Okay? So we're going to read this passage, and you can see I put all the definitions down here because there's so many I didn't want to get you to get lost in all of my explanations, you know? Because when you have a lot of definitions, the verse kind of just <laughs> falls apart. So we're going to try to do this, and we're going to try to make sense of it together, okay? If you have any questions, feel free to let me know. And if you have any comments too, obviously, I welcome that. So let's look at Leviticus 7, 11 through 17, and we're going to read it through first, and then we're just going to see how this, this plays out. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes when you have all these thoughts, you don't know how you're going to really say them yet. At least I don't. I could have practiced in the mirror, but then I would have forgotten what I practiced. <laughs> it would do me no good. It would be completely lost. So it's really better just to do it one time with you guys together. Okay, and this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer unto the Lord. If he offer it for thanksgiving, a todah, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes mingled with oil, unleavened wafers, wafers, wafers anointed with oil, and cakes mingled with oil of fine flour and fried. Besides the cakes... He'll offer for his offering leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offerings. And of it he shall offer one out of the whole oblation for a heave offering unto Yahweh. And it shall be the priests that sprinkle the blood of peace offerings. It belongs to them. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering be a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers the sacrifice, and on the morrow also the remainder of it shall be eaten. But the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burnt with fire. Okay, I'm going to begin by just giving you some definitions. When you look at the word sacrifice, throughout this passage, it's talking about sacrificing an animal. So that's what they did for uh, every one of their obligatory uh, offerings to the Lord for sin. And I mean, there's, there's many of them listed in the Old Testament. And so you have this sacrifice that is being made. And the peace offering 
the thing that made me um, really look at this further is I look at a peace offering and I think, well, the word peace is talking about being commissioned to do something, giving a task, going forth, completing it, and returning successfully having done what you've been asked to do. And I thought, well, this peace offering, how does this fit into this scenario? And so I thought, well, maybe it had to do with that for the Israelites, something that, that, that God was doing in them, and it had been successful, and so they offered this peace offering. Or it's an offering for going forward. Okay, these are just th thoughts that I'm having about the peace offering. And um, let me talk to you a little bit about the peace offering. I did do a little um, Googling just so that I would have a better understanding of it. Um, but it comes from Shalem and Shalom, which are the roots of Shalom. So it is um, related to the Shalom that we're all familiar with. It's the root of peace. It means to be safe and to be completed. But when worshipers under the Old Covenant wanted to present a special offering before the Lord that was not part of the rituals of propitiation, dedication, or expitiation that everyone had to offer, a peace offering was brought to the sanctuary out of the overflow of the worshiper's heart. The peace offering was given under three circumstances. For Thanksgiving, the Todah, which if you look up there, it doesn't really say anything about giving thanks. It talks about an avowal or an adoration, but we know that it means that you're asking, you're submitting yourself and asking the Father to um, really search you for anything that needs to be removed. And you'll see through the verses this completely, this completely pans out. So for thanksgiving, upon the payment of a vow or as a free expression of the worshiper's goodwill, the peace offering for thanksgiving is probably better translated as a confession or a praise offering that was given when someone was in dire need of deliverance. You have an example of Hannah. She gave a lavish offering when she dedicated Samuel to the Lord. It's an example of a peace offering given to commemorate the payment of a vow. See, Hannah had bowed to the Lord. She had entered into a covenant with the Lord regarding Samuel. And when she completed that vow, this is what she offered, was this peace offering. So she did complete the task that she had covenanted with God to complete. So I found that very interesting and telling. Now you have the word to offer. It says um, that you will offer unto Yahweh. The word offer in this sense, in this instance, um, actually means to uh, approach, bring near, draw near, in order to bring your consecrated gift before the Lord. In other verses that we'll see coming up, the word offer is actually the same word as sacrifice. So it really does depend. Um, uh, you'll have to look at the, the Hebrew to figure out which one they're talking about in any particular verse in the Old Testament. It's not always the same. But in this particular verse, this word offering the thanksgiving and coming before, that's what it means, it just means to come before the Lord, to come near, to bring the offering. Now, the other thing about um, this particular offering is that this is the only offering that the, the person could actually eat themselves. Okay, so they were able to partake of the meat and the cakes, but in any other sacrifice, only the priests were allowed to, to partake of what was, um, was sacrificed. And the interesting thing about it as well is how you could eat it on the first and second day, but not the third day. So you have your trifecta going on here. You've got the promise, the sila, but on the day of fulfillment, you don't get to eat that, that offering. I think that's interesting. See, so there's some really cool stuff in this little, little thing here that I thought we need to talk about. Okay, so talking about the leavened and the unleavened bread, I found this interesting. So you've got... Your sacrifice of thanksgiving, which when you think about that, you think about the, the sacrifice of Todah. Well, a little part of you is going to have to die when you actually surrender for this process. So you are the living sacrifice, in essence, in this instant. Okay? And it says you have unleavened cakes mingled with oil. Let's look at these definitions. Leavened, 
It can uh, leavened bread consists of a fermented lump of dough left over from the previous batch of bread making. These homes kept this around continually, which is why when they had you know, special um, times before the Lord, they were asked to com completely remove all leaven from their home. It wasn't just not preparing a cake with leaven in it or you know, whatever their sacrifice was going to be before the Lord to have leaven in it. God didn't want anything from the past to even be in their home. I mean, that is, that is so huge, and we've studied that. I mean, pastors try on that many times and in many ways, and we should have um, a really clear understanding of that. But look at this. Um, before I go into the word mingled and oil, which, you know, um, are also important, I want to look at the fact that you also have to, besides the cake, you're going to bring leavened bread to the sacrifice of Thanksgiving. So that means it's something from your past is presented in this same offering. And you know, God is, God is good that way because honestly, we usually are, are um, asked to lay everything down, but it's not that we lose everything that we lay down. It may be tweaked, it may be refined and changed, and maybe it is exactly the same. But I did find the fact that there were both unleavened and leavened bread in, in this peace offering and this thanksgiving. It's a sacrifice of thanksgiving, the sacrifice of Todah. I just found that very interesting. So the cakes themselves is the word halal, but it's not the same halal as your visionary capacity when you look at the throne and you praise based on what you're seeing from the throne. Um, this halal, although, I mean, you look at the spelling, it's, it's basically the same word, so I'm sure there's some connection to it, and I'm, I'm no Hebrew scholar, so I don't know the answer to that. But I will tell you that this word for cake, it means, so they would make these cakes and puncture, bore holes in it, they'd wound and dissolve the oil, oil in the cake in two different ways. You had cakes mingled with oil, which was an overflow of, or mixed with oil. It was just overflowing. And then the anointed, um, the unleavened wafers that were anointed with oil, um, that we know that word anointed means to rub with oil, to anoint or consecrate. So it was different. I don't know why it was different, but some of the cakes had an abundance of oil and some of the cakes had, you know, this act of rubbing it and anointing it, but the cakes themselves were punctured and bored, and I thought, you know, if, I know there are some principles in the New Testament, you know, that talk about us being pierced, and in order for, you know, there was something that would pierce us so that it could reach into particularly difficult places to reach, to get those areas, just like the sprinkling of the blood that, you know, it sprinkles and gets exactly what is necessary in that time. Well, I think about this being wounded and punctured and bored, you know, as the, 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 the offering. We're the offering ourselves. And we're being anointed. There's an overflow of anointing that is um, being poured upon us. And then there's this rubbing of the anointing. <clears throat> and we know that oil itself, from the recent studies that were so amazing, about um, the oil itself being pressed from the olive. And that we are also that in that process of pressing and that's how the anointing comes forth and the anointing is based on who we've been called to be and and then what is really demonstrated from that and given based on that identificational calling that we have before God but so all these things to me I you know they're just swirling around in my head in this moment yes um, I think that I think this kind of describes to a degree what we've been through as a people, where we we did not abandon the things that God raised us to be, the, the good things, but we were willing to do the new thing. And 
the, this business of leaven with this peace offering, um, I, want, I want to say two things about that. Number one, um, a couple of years ago, I went in Ireland to the, the, the Guinness um, brewery and went through their big presentation. And they've been preserving their fermented yeast that is signature to making whatever that, I don't like beer, I didn't taste any of it, but signature with that brew for, oh, well over 100 years. The same thing. If they establish a new plant, they take from that and take it there. And the same type of thing with the, uh, uh, is it the Baudin uh, sourdough in San Francisco? They, they keep, for their signature flavoring of that sourdough bread, they keep that particular fermentation that preserves their, their ability to continue in the ways that they've recognized our signature. So I think that that's probably indicated here when you come through grace and you offer a peace sacrifice and you offer something that says, thank you, Father, for the foundational things you've given us that we're not jettisoning. This is different between the foundation and tradition. There's a big difference between those two things because you build on foundation. So I can see how they would say, but then when we come to uh, communion, God doesn't give a flip about your successes in the past. He's wanting to do a new thing. He doesn't want you to rely on your strength and your capacities or what everybody thinks of you. So the unleavened part comes in then. And I think that this being willing to bore, to, to make the cake in that halal, there is a derivative of that, and I studied it, and I thought, how am I ever going to teach on this? Um, and maybe because it wasn't the Lord's time, probably. But there is, there is that measure of halal, since halal is becoming what God wants you to be, to become that thing. You're willing to submit, to lay yourself out, and to let God bore into you, and to let God delve and do what He wants, even if to mess that up, as it were. And so I think that this is a submission, but it's also a presentation to God. Lord, thank you for what you've given us foundationally, but we ain't married to it. This is, this is a testimony to what you've done, but you sift through it. You search me. You try me. You perfect me. And we're all supposed to be continually being perfected. What, uh, the fire of our, the testing of our faith as gold has to continually be on that altar. And so I think that the leaven sacrifice here and this strange derivative of the halal, it was used to indicate something that somebody had done that now before God in becoming what he wants that now they're saying search me penetrate through I submit this factor to you and why it would be a cake <laughs> that's that's your fellowship with God bread, manna, whatever it is, you are communing with God and we dare not go before God ever and say this is what I am, he ain't changing me, you know look at my accolades you know, you come before God in that bread and you say, do whatever you want. So I think it's very interesting that this peace offering has this unleavened, uh, this leavened capacity. And only God could, only God could do that. But the leaven itself, even though we've taught from the communion standpoint, is you, you want to get this out, you don't want it in your pantries, or as Luke would say, in your pants. You don't want it anywhere, but but on the other end, the other end of it is that there are signature things. Like I treasure a lot of, of many of the things that I was raised to believe and to do. They are mainstays. The, the validity of the Word of God, the, the being faithful, doing working for the kingdom. Those things we're not jettisoning. So to me, that is a signature leaven that whatever I do going forward and for my children, my grandchildren, this is the way you do this thing. This is the way you do that. We pass that along. And that's 11 you don't want to get rid of. 
But when it comes to hearing fresh from God, he's not interested in that. He's interested in you hear something fresh and new. And sometimes we can't see the, the we can't see the trees from the forest. You know, we can't see the new planting because look at this arbor we have over you. So anyway, I Yeah, that's amazing. That's an amazing insight. And I think that that very thing that you just said about you know, not wanting anything from the old, but um, being willing to present even the foundations before God, the foundational things, and saying, you can still, you know, bore through me and even deal with that. You know, I just give it all to you. And I, I think that's an amazing insight. Um, certainly something I wouldn't have, uh, that I wasn't given myself. But I will say that in regard to the cakes, you know, the word toda comes from yada, which we know is that communication, that continual commune with the Father. And so anytime we have come before the Father, it's you know, it's not the only time we've had some discussions. This is a yada relationship that we have with him. And we come before him and we just lay ourselves open for however he wants to change us. Um, so moving on to the next uh, passage, which is the New Testament principle that I thought was just almost identical to what we just read, uh, in principle anyway. Uh, look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This little short passage is just so full of deep teachings. And so again, trying to um, express this to you in a way that we can all benefit, <laughs> um, I'm going to try to do that. But let's look at it just from these terms that we see, and, and surely you should be able to recognize these um, Greek terms that I've put on your paper. So here we have a beseeching, a parakaleo. We know that um, that is a calling alongside for the work of the ministry. For whatever God is doing, you're saying, I beseech you to do what I'm about to talk to you about. I'm calling you alongside this. This is God. Uh, God's <clears throat> plan for you. This is something he needs for you to do. And so I'm calling you alongside for that. By the mercies of God, we know that mercy just really speaks of that commune again. But more specifically in the Old Testament, speaking of um, that mercy seat and that point of commune before the angels of God where you are given directive strategy in those things that God gives you for what? For moving forward. That's what that mercy seat is about with those who are in covenant relationship <clears throat> with the Father. And that by the mercies of God, by virtue of this covenant that we have, relationship, the commune that we have, we must present our bodies a living sacrifice. So again, as I was talking about from that last passage, you know, we are the sacrifice that is offered before God. And this word present is an estimi word. So you have committed yourself to your estimi. You're not flitting about trying to do the work of the Lord in places that you have not been called to do it. You're standing alongside. Because that's what it means to stand beside or to stand by in the estimi. That's what para means. So you're, you're standing beside in commitment to your estimi assignment. And it's in this position that you give yourself, you open yourself for this work of hagias, your arrestos, and the logikos. I know that's a weird word. It comes from lo the, logo, the logos. The logos. The logikos. Okay? So when we present our bodies as a living sacrifice for this point of restoration, that has to be done in us first, right? Before we can go forward as a saint and 
and present this message, we have to be ones who demonstrate this message in our own personal walk. It is always a point of restoration and change and in holiness that is happening within us. And we have to present our bodies for this process. And then that word acceptable, which is your restos. I have a definition here on your sheet. We know that the EU is the perfect will of God. It's that good thing. So you're fully committed to the perfect will of God. An arrestos, uh, Pastor really li likened this to being arrested by something. So when God tells you something that you have to do, you are arrested by it. You're constrained. There's, there's no other way for you. You're completely bound to your commitment to what God has asked you to do. And there was another example that he gave about um, when someone asks you to please do something, you drop what you're doing and you do what they're asking. It's that because this word acceptable means to please God. It means you're doing something that is pleasing to the Father. And then that reasonable logikos service, we know that comes from the, the logos word. So this really is taught in the service there is ministry. So we're talking about a ministry that is operating and functioning according to the eternal word, which we know the eternal word, the logos, is talking about the express plan of God. And so those are the three things that are on the table when we offer ourselves as a reasonable sacrifice, I mean as a living sacrifice. We're presenting in our stimmy our entire being in order to be changed and to accept the mission and to, to adhere ourselves in our ministry and everything that we do <coughs> to the plan of God, the Logos. Now... <coughs> Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, just give me a little space here. And, Pastor, you can correct me, but I'm not trying to create dogma by my theory, okay? But it's just kind of the way I was seeing it. Because when I was, I actually had... I'm praying this, you know, I am praying this, you know, the Lord refined me, I'm lifting my hands, I'm doing the things that I'm actually studying, this is the thing, you know, just, listen, when you guys taught on seat and seasons, I mean, those things just, you know, they banged my life, I mean, they came up in my face and told me I had to do these things, I had to submit myself for these things, so I'm in this mode already, and then I start reading this, and I'm just telling you, I'm toed on all over the place trying to get things happening. And um, so last night I had come across, I thought about the living sacrifice, and I need to look at that verse and see how that, you know, whatever. So it was kind of a new addition. I thought, oh, my God. And so I'm praying. I said, Father, don't let me be conformed to this world, but let me be transformed. What? And he said, and I said, even my old world. Don't be conformed to the world that you have created. See, that's what, I, that's what I'm talking about. When there's old stuff in you that still needs to come out, that's, that's the old thing that's already, that's already conformed to the world from the past. And you're still doing that thing. You're still reacting. You're still, you're still you know, the imaginations that you have, the way you process what's going on. I mean, and then you, you know, I mean, you know. You have seen yourself do the same things over and over. And that, to me, is what you have conformed to the world in. And so I was like, oh! And all the things that I've already conformed to, Lord, let me be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And the renewing, this anakinosis, anakinosis, is, has the word kinos in it. It means new, to be fresh and new. And we've studied that word out. And the word Anna, oh my gosh, I meant to write this down because I knew I wasn't going to remember it. This prefix, this prefix. It, it means like every and some other things too, but I can't remember. But what I was thinking about it was that, you know, we're presented, um, you know, there's always something new that we have to um, submit ourselves to. We have to be willing 
to step into the new and that it, we don't always know what that means, right? But because of our willingness, we do step into it. And this, and our mind is in this process. So the mind is also kind of changing. The mind is um, accepting a new understanding, accepting a new way that God is revealing. And because of that, we're transformed. So this process of stepping into the new. Now, again, I'm not trying to say this is just kind of the way I was seeing it in my own thinking. I'm not saying this is, because we have these words, anachinosis. So this might have to be explained further, but I'm just telling you. To me, it just showed me that as I submit to every new thing that God does, because the new thing is not something that you've already experienced in the Lord. It's actually a new created thing. It's something fresh and from God, from the Spirit of God. So when it talks about renewing your mind, it's not renewing something that you already had. It is something completely new. And we've been through this process for over 20 years. I mean, pastor preaches something or one of you, and we embrace it, and then our mind is renewed through that. You read the Word of God, you see something you've never seen before, your mind is renewed, and when your mind is renewed, you're actually transformed. See, because the heart's going to follow that biswax. Your heart is going to then direct your actions based on that renewal of your mind. Anyway, just thought that was super cool in my own head. Pseudo cool. That's what it's like. Only I thought it was cool. That we may prove, documento, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So again, we can, we can see really line upon line almost how this lines up with that Old Testament passage of offering the peace offering with the todah. Toda, toda, I don't know how to say it. But this word prove is documento. It means to test, discern, form an opinion, value, and judge. But the root, see, is the key. It comes from doxa, which is the glory of God. So we are impacted by God's opinion, God's assessment, as he is making that you know, internal examination of where we are. And see, that's what it is. And it's assessment. It's not him, you know, bashing us and saying how we've done something wrong. He's just assessing where we are so that he can, he can say, okay, well, in order for her to go forward, we need to blip, 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 blip. So it's an assessment. It's him saying, I'm going to prepare you to, uh, to move with me in my glory. I mean, that is what this process is. And what is good? We know that, that good agathos is those, are those things that are beneficial to fulfilling the plan of God. Those agathos things, acceptable. Again, we've come, we've come across this again, the eurestos. And that means being pleasing to, the, to God in our actions and in everything that we're doing because we're committed to his perfect will. And the word perfect, we have... Um, Scott taught on this some time ago, and Pastor really illuminated an amazing understanding during that teaching. We know that the perfect is not someone without fault. It's, it's really depicting that communication that we have with God and that point of development within us because we're in that communication. Because when we hear what God is saying, we adopt that, we embrace it, and then we become that. That's the actually operative word of being perfect. You become what God has talked to you about. It's really an amazing thing. So we have, you know, this same thing with the peace offering where we come before him and he wants to uh, prepare us for going forward. And, you know, the thing about the Old Testament too, this word is often used because the children of Israel have been askance of the perfect plan of God, they have actually turned from him, they're offering idols, they're sending up the wazoo, and I don't know why I said that, but you know what I mean, they were, they were being bad. And then they would have a king that would come in, or someone who would bring them back into alignment, and they would have to repent and change, give up something, and they had to offer this toad off before they could actually begin to fulfill the plan of God again in their lives. It was it was a juxtaposition of 
in between the before and the after. So um, let's go ahead and, and dive into some of these. We probably will not finish this, and I didn't intend for us to. I wasn't worried about it. But, you know, I like to give everything that I can. So if you want to go through it and, and look at the verses for yourself, you can. So don't stress over how, the amount of pages and verses. I'm not going to try to do it all today. So we have Ezra the priest. Here we are. First example, um, they're returning from Babylonian captivity. And Ezra, who is a priest, he leads the second wave of Jews back to Jerusalem. Okay? And let's read this verse um, 10, chapter 10, verse 10 and 11. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed, you've taken strange wives to increase the trespass of Israel. So they were already in trespass, but this had, <laughs> it had increased the trespass. Now therefore make confession, this todah, lift your hands before the Lord your God and submit yourself for the change that must, can't, must come and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the strange wives. And they did. Can you imagine? Okay. Okay, God's going to tell you stuff to do that you are not going to like what that means. Some of these people had kids. And they could have nothing to do with the wife that they loved and the children that they bore. I don't really know how much more difficult something God could ask you to do would be more than that, folks. So we can be assured that there are going to be things that have to be cleansed in our lives that may cost us something. I mean, may is not the operative word. <laughs> I would say that it is gonna, because that's a word. It's gonna cost you something. So yeah, an amazing example. Nehemiah, at the dedication of the wall, after leading the third group of the Jews to Jerusalem to, to rebuild the wall, Nehemiah 12, 27, and at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites out of all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to keep the dedication with gladness, both with the raising of the hands in that point of submission and with singing cymbals, psalteries, and harps. So this was, and there were, and I actually did take off some of these. I thought, gosh, if this is six pages, you all would just freak out. So I did remove some of the, these um, examples, but um, there were some that had to do, you know, with, in compilation with joy and gladness. So when you come before God to do this, it's not some dour prospect where you're all sad, sappy, and, you know, woe is me, I can't believe I'm going to do this. It is coupled with singing and with joy and, and gladness. So, uh, really, this is a principle that we should be well familiar with. It's something that I know has been um, taught, and we just must recognize as we face some of these things, which... You know, when I was praying last night, the, the situation I was thinking about was not making me happy one least little bit. It, you know, it's very upsetting. And I was just trying, I wanted to react and I wanted to change the way I viewed because I noticed, I'm sure it's because, you know, the Spirit was like telling me, hey, look, this is the way you always do this. <laughs> well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, you know, anyway, so... Um, you know, I know that God is saying that, you know, and even in that particular instance, it's not that what I did for anyone else's view would have changed. But it was the way I was processing it, thinking about it, and reacting within myself over the scenario. Okay. So, and, but, but I do think there are going to be scenarios where, you know, what we act, what we think, and how we process and all that will affect the outcome of something. It will affect other people. It will affect your going forward in some way. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I do think there will be things like that, but I think the opposite is also true. It's more about the development within you because even in that situation where it may not have been important in the outward demonstration, it, another situation that comes up would be. It would be really, you call them deal breakers. I, I believe the plan of God is sure but our partnership in it ain't so. We still have to be willing. We still have to be in that places of mission where we actually do go forward and we submit to his plan, no matter how it looks, no matter if you have to give up your wife, 
Scott, don't get any ideas. And so at this point, I can't find another car man. You know what I'm saying? Um, Car man, yard man. Oh, yard man. He's my man of all things. He does everything. He can live without me easily, but the opposite is not so true. Um, but King Hezekiah is cleaning house. So he began to reign at 25, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. But he followed a very evil king. Second Chronicles 29, 3 through 6. Then I kind of gave you some background here, so that there's no thanksgiving in this particular first section. But in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of Yahweh. He repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, you Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. So there was some things to be done in the house of the Lord. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and they've turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and they've turned their backs. Okay, so, I mean, may the Lord never find us in this place. But there will be many who are <laughs> coming from this place. Second Chronicles 29, 27 through 31. And Hezekiah commanded to offer the burnt offering upon the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also, the song of Yahweh. With the trumpets, the instruments ordained by David, king of Israel. And all the congregation worshipped, they shakad, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. And all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had made an end of offering... And I believe that in these cases, the word offering is the word for sacrifice, okay? Not to come near, but to burn and to kill an animal. The king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. Moreover, Hezekiah, the king and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praise. That is the halal that we were talking about earlier. Unto Yahweh with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang halal with Simeon that uh, Simya is that gladness. Oh, there's a definition down there for you. Or did I give it to you guys? I have it for myself. I'm so sneaky. Mm -hmm. um, at, and at, I was trying to keep your pages light, okay? Um, attitude of delight, expectancy, and a hope for meeting with the Lord. So there were halal, that vision capacity that God gives us to see what he's doing, and then we're able to express that and fulfill what he's showing and they bowed their heads and they worshiped and then hezekiah answered and said now you have consecrated yourselves unto the lord and that word consecrated means to fill so you've done all that you were asked come near and bring sacrifices and toda into the house of the lord and the congregation brought in sacrifices and their toda and as many as were of a free heart they brought burnt offerings so you have this scenario again of a change from evil to good and the necessity of <coughs> change that must occur before you can go forward by submitting yourself for that point of refining. Manasseh, Hezekiah's son, he sees there of his ways. So God carries Manasseh into Babylon in fetters because he was a stinker. Okay. He was so bad, he made them do worse than they had been before. And he was in affliction. These are, this is just right before the passage that we're going to read. He was in affliction over the fact that he had been carried to Babylon <coughs> in fetters. And um, I can imagine, he was the king. He was pretty upset. Well, this word affliction for him it meant he was cramped in a narrow place. Does that sound familiar? It's like the New Testament word for affliction. You know, we're in a tight spot. You know, when you, you know, you can be in a tight spot because the enemy puts you there, but you can also be in a tight spot because you didn't put yourself there. You've made a wrong decision. You had a wrong attitude. Next thing you know, you're in a tight spot. You're in affliction. You're in affliction because the Holy Ghost is working on you to deal with that situation. Not to punish you, not in some way to browbeat you, but the Spirit is always trying to bring you out. 
of what you put yourself in. Or in another case where you're not guilty of anything wrong, but the, the Lord lets you go into places that are difficult and challenging so that you may see something that you wouldn't otherwise see that he wants to change. Okay? So that word affliction, so that's where he was. He was afflicted. He was in a tight place in Babylon. And so he humbled himself greatly. That word greatly, uh, mayod, means vehemently, and it's the root word, ud. That means a firebrand. It's like a poker that you use to gather the embers. So, I mean, he was burning on the inside from his position. And he humbled himself greatly with this passion. But God hears his prayer of grace. Second Chronicles 33, 13 through 16. And so um, Manasseh, he palaled, and that was recently taught on. And we know that means to, to be a judge mentally and officially, to function as a purveyor of justice. And it's an intercessor. It means to be an intercessor, okay? It's a palau prayer. And if you need to, to know that and you haven't heard Monica's teaching, you need to look that up from the seminar. And he was entreated of him and heard his supplication to henna. This is a, a, a prayer of grace to Hena. And brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. The Manasseh then, he had a little change of heart. Then Manasseh knew that Yahweh was Elohim. Now after this, he built a wall without the city of David and on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entering in at the fish, the fish gate. And compassed about Ophel and raised it up a very great height and put captains of war in all the fenced cities of Judah. He took away the strange gods, the idol out of the house of the Lord, and all the altars that he had built in the mount of the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And he cast them out of the city. And he repaired the altar of the Lord. And he sacrificed there on peace offerings. Now this, I think, was him saying, Oh my God, you delivered me. You know, you had mercy on me. You brought me back, and these are my peace offerings to you. And it could have been, no, it wasn't, it wasn't for a vow. I think it was Thanksgiving. And he brought the todah. So he lifted his hands before God and submitted himself, surrendering completely for what God would want to change in him before he could go forward. He commanded you to serve the Lord God of Israel. I mean, see, these, these examples truly bear out what this word really means. Let's look at uh, personal inspection. We've got six minutes. Examine me, O Lord. 20, I'm sorry, Psalm 26, verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For your loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go with dissemblers. I hate the congregation of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency. <laughs> Too many ends and C's. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your honor dwells. That's an amazing verse. So then you really see uh, up at the top of that, that that relational development that's happening within David is he raises his hand, he allows the Lord to completely investigate him and test him like you're testing a metal, which we know that's a firing. And then you have refining and the testing, it's all going on. So that's David in Psalm 26. David again in Psalm 42 verse 1 As the heart pants after the water brook so panteth my soul after thee Elohim My soul thirsts for Elohim the living Elohim when shall I come and appear before you Elohim I think we've all had that prayer once at least My tears have been my meat day and night while they continually say to me where is your Elohim when I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy, which is actually oh, not signing, but that would be singing. So they didn't go forth in signing <laughs> and shouting. 
<laughs> I'm signing when I'm shouting. <laughs> hey, I'll do anything for a laugh. Uh, with the voice of joy and praise, which is that todah with the multitude that kept holy day. So, so David is really in a distressed place, but he's remembering when he would go into the house of the Lord with his compatriots and how they would worship and they would submit themselves before God in this, in this uh, way. An amazing example. How are we doing here? Four minutes. Our offering. Psalm 50. Verses 14 and 15. Offer unto Yahweh the Todah. Come before, I mean, I say Yahweh. Brow. Offer unto Elohim this Todah and pay your vows unto the Most High. So this is talking about that covenant relationship where you have vowed between you and Yahweh certain things. And upon the completion of those vows, you would offer this todah and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and you will glorify me Psalm 50 verse 23 whoso offereth praise glorifies me and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God so in both of these verses you have this connection with the glory again so you come before God you lift your hand um, you for that inspection and that change, you have that sacrifice that is present, and you are the living sacrifice in this instance. And you um, then are being readied to partner with God in his glory. But let's look further. To him that ordereth his conversation aright. Conversation is not what you say, but where you go. It is your path. It's the, tr the path that you tread your feet upon. So you have to... Um, and the word order here is sum. It's the same as kami. You know, it's that, it's that measuring read type of thing where you have laid yourself down um, to align yourself with God, the divine calling that he's given you. And from that placement, you sow into that however God asks you to sow into it. You're sowing into the sum for the sum uh, or the kami for what? For the benefit of God's purpose being fulfilled in that land. So that is what ordering your steps. So you're, you're absolutely committing yourself to your divine calling that puts you on that path of purpose so that you're treading in the right path. And then, of course, the word salvation. Um, he will show the salvation of God. That's ra'ah. That's a visionary capacity for deliverance to open up free and wide. So he's going to provide that way of escape. He's going to provide that deliverance. And I praise God there's one more minute left. Look at those next two verses. You're going to have the sacrifices of thanksgiving in those next two verses. Speaking again of it costing you something when you enter into this posture before the Lord. Um, Psalm 95, come before his presence. That's Panim with Todah. So you're coming before Yahweh. You're coming before Elohim. And just his presence, his face, you're coming face to face with him in the midst of this todah. Um, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Anybody ever thought of that before? Now. That's not what you think when you say enter his gates with thanksgiving. Do you? No. Enter his gates. You ain't anywhere even near the holy place yet. You're entering the gates with your arms raised, your heart completely open, and saying, you know, change me. I'm coming in to meet with you. I'm coming into the holy place. And you're submitting yourself completely for whatever he wants to do with you as you come in there. And then you allow in his courts. You, you partner with that visionary capacity he's given you to see what he's doing. And then you're thankful. Yada, 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 yada. You're just going to have some kind of communion with him. It is all going to be good. You bless, there's that Barak where you kneel in order for there to be a promotion or strength. And I'll just say this and end. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Hallelujah. Thank you all for listening. Father, I ask you to seal these words in our hearts. Lord, let it do a work that um, you desire within each one of us. Help us to remain open to not put a block up 
a wall or some kind of hindrance to what you're trying to show us, do in us, and change in us. Help us, Father, to be completely refined by you and changed in this moment in order to be the vessel, the vessel of honor, the vessel of your glory as we come into these new days. And we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.